We've been listening to you, our amazing audience, and researching the most up-to-date topics in health and mindfulness today. We've had so much fun putting together truly remarkable authors, physicians, and wellness leaders to guide us through the newest and best practices in nutrition, mindfulness, and whole body health for this year's Achieving Optimal Health Conference. You are not going to want to miss it. Head over to our website, AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com, and watch for our newsletter in your email for a registration link. The virtual format means you can enjoy this day from anywhere in the world. We hope you'll invite your friends for a day of connection and well-being. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Jen Bruce is a functional medical doctor, and her passion is teaching people how to use nutrition, lifestyle, and alternative medicines to support their recovery from addiction, chronic stress, mood swings, fatigue, chronic pain, medication dependency, and so much more. Please welcome Jen Bruce to Health Kick. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Trisha and I are very thrilled to have you join us today. And we love to start our interviews by asking if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Jen Bruce and I live in Arcata, California. It's a little tiny town on the northern Redwood Coast Highway in California. I'm a mother. I have a nine-year-old daughter. That's been wonderful. And uh, yeah, I work in functional medicine and I specialize in holistic uh, mental health, trauma and addiction recovery. Jen, how did you get into this work? Yeah. So I think with most people that get into healing work that they had to first heal themselves. And so I came from a wonderful family, but they struggled quite a bit generationally with alcoholism. My grandfather was a veteran of World War II. My my father was a veteran of Vietnam. And so there was a lot of untreated PTSD. They weren't really talking about it back then. And so I went through quite a journey. I had substance use disorder with alcohol for about 15 years. And I found myself with depression, anxiety. And you know, about 13 years ago, I started my healing journey. I wasn't really happy with the results with a lot of the things that Western medicine was giving me. So I kind of set out on a journey and went around the world a few times. I've been to India and Mexico and all over the place trying to find answers. Over the years, I was able to put some things together and get the results I was looking for. It's been uh, 13 years. I have no symptoms, no medication, no diagnosis, and I feel better now at 42 than I did at 22. And so, you know, once somebody goes through something like that, you feel very called to help other people. So that's why I do the work that I do. And can you talk about the work that you do? What do you do? What do you offer? And what would someone come to see you for? Somebody would come to see me or any functional medicine practitioner for that matter. Generally, what we see is that the Western medical model has failed them in some ways, or perhaps not. There's a whole movement of expansion right now in functional medicine due to the fact that most people are now suffering from chronic health conditions, meaning that they accumulate and get worse and kind of linger with us over time. They're generally not, you know, life-threatening in the moment, but they can really hinder the quality of one's life. So functional medicine is the biology-based approach to health and wellness. 
meaning that rather than just looking at the symptoms and to control the symptoms of any condition that we're looking at the systems in the body using the symptoms as clues. We even look at labs very differently. We're looking for optimal ranges rather than pathological ranges. And so in this way, we can get into the body and the entire human being and heal at the root cause so that the symptoms will go away as a side effect or as a result. And you focus mostly on mental wellness. Is that right? Yeah. So, and then in functional medicine too, um, a lot of it's diet, nutrition, and lifestyle. And so within that larger umbrella of functional medicine, I practice my niche would be mental health through the lens of trauma. And then even more specifically within that niche, I like to help people who are recovering from different kinds of addictions. That's so fascinating, the work that you're doing. And you said that you pull a lot from your own experience. I've had years and years of education behind me, but really, you know, what I've learned the most from was my own experience. And this is a newly emerging field. It's been around for a while, but it's really starting to gain traction just due to the fact that so many people are struggling with these things now. So yeah, my my own journey has really informed me the most on uh, the work that I do in the world now. So did you get help for your addiction and then work on other modalities to heal your body and brain? Yeah, and I think that that's the first step for anybody. You know, the prerequisite to heal and to do the inner work that needs to be done, we have to have the substances or the addictive behaviors out of the way. And so for me and, and many Americans, especially uh, alcohol can, can be the thing. And so I did do the traditional route with that on uh, 12-step community and that saved my life. Absolutely. But the, this is more of a syndrome and at the root of all addiction is unhealed trauma. And I think it's really important to understand that trauma is not an event like we've historically thought. And this isn't to diminish the severity of acute traumas that people experience like at war or childhood abuse or something like that. But in, in fact, trauma is an experience and it can be something very subtle like both parents being out of the home when the baby's too young and the connection not being there, like developmental trauma can be chronic stress over a long time, whether it's in a job that we are being pushed too hard at, you know, so many different things can be traumatic. So it's it's an experience, not an event. And that's always at the root of addiction. And so, you know, with that, there's also the likelihood for, for people to grow up and to have chronic illnesses such as autoimmunity, fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression. And typically, if we're looking to reach for a substance or a behavior, and that substance can also be food. And we can see in the United States or most Western cultures now that food addiction is the number one cause of death because it's obesity. And so anything that we're reaching for to regulate our nervous system with the root being unhealed trauma. And that's just carrying stress or charge in our system. To hear you say that trauma is an experience, not an event, really helps clarify it. Because you're right, we'll think of it, oh, this happened to them, or that happened to them, or that happened to me, and that caused my trauma. But what you're saying is, it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be just a whole experience And again, we talk about bio-individuality. So somebody could be experiencing maybe a similar situation, but react differently, right? So their experience is different going through that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I work with genetic testing in my practice. And there's actually, we can see in the genes, people that have a predisposition to post-traumatic stress disorder, which runs along the spectrum of addiction as well. What about trauma that's passed through the generations? 
Yes. And that's a huge one. And so that's, you know, that's a reason that sometimes people can't unearth some of this even in 30 years of therapy. Right. And so we call this generational trauma and the shamanic lineages, the traditional spiritual lineages have been speaking to this for thousands of years, but now science proves it through epigenetics and epi means above and then there's the genes. So the, the environment influences the genes. But when we look at it through an epigenetical lens, it's actually a fact when a mother has a female fetus in her utero, that the fetus's eggs are formed in utero by 10 weeks old. And this is not to shame or mother guilt. This is just biological fact. So therefore, I literally was in my grandmother's womb while my mother, while she was pregnant with my mother in Germany during World War II. So when our mother was being formed and in their mother's womb, within 10 weeks, our eggs were being developed. They are developed. They are developed. So we were in their bodies and part of them while they were going under this traumatic situation. You know, I always wondered how it got carried through and always heard that, okay, it's because we were actually part of it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because to help some others <laughs> that may not feel comfortable hearing this, like I wasn't when I first heard it, this is our way of procreating and making sure that our offspring survive. So it's one of the most loving things that we can do for our children. But in the amniotic fluid, there's so many chemical messengers, right? And so if that unborn baby is being washed with cortisol and all kinds of stress hormones, then the genes through the lens of epigenetics are going to register that I'm being born into an unsafe environment where I need to survive. And so then we come to have a higher sensitivity to stress and danger. And then we can even look back and think of when we were living in more hunter-gatherer societies. And that was very important for us to be looking around and being highly alert and sensitive to stress because there are many, many dangers. And so in this way, children can actually be born in stress response and trauma response. And that looks like fight or flight, you know, so children could be having little tantrums or meltdowns or not have the capacity emotionally to handle things more so than a normal developing child. Freeze is another trauma response. And that's where you completely shut down. And that would be like, depression, inability to focus, these kinds of things. And then there's also fawning is another trauma response that we don't hear about very much. And that's when, you know, that can look like codependency. In this way, I think, you know, if we look through it in this lens, it's a really good way to maybe explain the rapidly growing diagnosis of children that have ADD, ADHD. And then they're put on medication that's um, one molecule off of methamphetamines. And then to focus... And then that makes them like a hundred times more likely to become addicted to stimulants when they grow older. When someone comes to see you, how does it actually work? How do you begin? That's one of the things that differs greatly from a Western allopathic doctor's you know, appointment or any other kind of appointment that you might get in the Western model. So with functional medicine, it will always begin with an extensive health history that the client fills out. And then the initial consultation is usually like 90 minutes where we just go over everything. And so when I'm looking at somebody, you know, it's where they're at right now. You can only start from where you're at. And so a lot of this information may not even matter at the beginning, but to get a good idea of the person's constellation, it's important for me to look back at people's history uh, see where they're at. And then the steps moving forward would be what they can manage where they're at. A lot of what I do too is educating people, because if we know what we're working with and we know 
our, what our equation is, all the things that have happened to us in our life, the quality of our daily lifestyle, the sleep that we're getting or not getting, you know, if we're living in a toxic environment or not, if we're getting nutrient dense foods that our brain requires to heal, all these things matter. And so when people can start to understand that there would actually be something wrong with them if they were okay after everything they've been through, then we can start moving forward, you know, because when you come from the Western model and so many people told they're broken, or if the medications don't work, then you have a treatment resistant lifelong diagnosis. And I see these things reverse and turn around and heal all the time. Wow. So what do you do? I mean, are you talking to them about an EMDR? Tell us what are the steps that you take once you get to this place that you're ready to heal? Yeah, it depends. So if we're just looking at like anxiety and depression, the first thing is is to recognize that that might possibly be a state of your nervous system rather than this health condition that you have to take something to kind of get rid of the symptoms. So one of the first things that I help people do is to understand that the symptoms are our friend and it's our body trying to tell us something. And when we can start to make the space to listen to those symptoms and potentially have the space to sit with them a little bit, And depending on what people have been through and where they're at, it could be as simple as a dietary upgrade, working on getting better sleep, working on the proper kind of exercise, working through some emotional issues, that kind of a thing, a few supplements. And then some people are going to need to go all the way to like an inpatient treatment center, depending on, you know, where they're at. But most Americans and most people in Western culture right now are eating a highly inflammatory diet. And um, in the functional world now, we're looking at depression on a physical level as simply being an inflamed brain, right? So the serotonin travels through these little tiny pathways or the dopamine or whatever. And so if we have inflammation in our body, those little pathways are going to shrink. And so just bringing down the inflammation can be life-changing for some people. And how do you do that? You say it's through diet, it's through lifestyle, it's through choosing the right foods. The first line of defense right now is that most people are on a diet of food that's really not designed for human consumption. It is designed for shelf life. So just getting people back to a nutrient-dense diet of whole foods, so that would look like somebody that's struggling with any kind of neurological issues like anxiety or depression would want to make sure that they're eating animal protein of good quality. So organic free range makes a huge difference and whether it was factory farmed and that has the most bioavailable nutrients that the brain needs to create the chemicals that balance our moods, such as serotonin, tryptophan makes serotonin, tyrosine is also found in ample amounts of animal protein that creates dopamine, which is also highly responsible for our mental health. Caffeine and sugar are constantly um, causing our body to become adrenalized. So especially if we're healing from trauma, like we want to back away from things that are going to trigger our trauma or stress response or our anxiety by forcing our body to release adrenaline into the bloodstream. Colorful fruits and vegetables, preferably organic. That's not accessible for everybody, but there's still ways that you can make it work on a dime if you need to. Yeah. So you're saying, yes, again, it's lifestyle. What about grief? How do you describe grief and what that looks like? There's all kinds of new studies now that grief is actually a real thing, right? I mean, it actually shows up in your body. So in my circles, we say you have to feel it, feel it. Right. And grief is a is a natural emotion when we lose something dear to us or don't get something that we hoped to get. 
you know, when that grief becomes chronic because it hasn't been processed, then I think that that can actually turn into depression, right? It's normal to have grief, I would say, but um, depression is, is more of a state that we're in. I think that as a culture, we've forgotten how to sit with these uncomfortable emotions sometimes because we're kind of taught to take a pill if we don't feel happy or to buy this thing if we don't feel happy because this thing, you know, it's the consumer mindset and we're really being conditioned to turn away from any set of emotions that may not feel happy. Everybody's like Xanax and Shell, you know, it's like sometimes we need to get that up and out. So in the work that I do and my colleagues do, we hold space for that kind of stuff so that people can process it. What are you seeing from the pandemic? What kinds of problems, issues, how are you working with people? It's been a lot to watch in my field and the mental health crisis is escalating to a degree that I don't think we may have ever seen it before. The addiction problem is is astronomical. I don't I don't even have the words to contain how much this shifted things for people, but then what I'm also seeing is that people are becoming more resilient, they're becoming more self-reliant, they're growing, they're expanding, and and that there's a shift going on in consciousness in the world too. And so, you know, it seems like both things are happening. And the beautiful thing with addiction and depression and anxiety and chronic illness, the way that I work and the way a lot of people in my circles work is that these are actually opportunities, catalysts for change. And so for people that have gotten to the other sides of these kinds of things by doing the work, they'll all say that they wouldn't wish the hard part on their worst enemy, but the after part, the healing, the recovery is like the life that everybody wishes they got to live, but most people aren't willing to do what it takes to get there. I don't know what this is going to look like over the long term yet, but I'm hopeful. When you talk to people and they come into your office, do you talk a lot about relationships at all? the importance of healthy relationships? All of that's important. Most of the time, that's one of the bigger issues in a person's life because that's a human need is community and healthy relationships. And it's not even about their marriage or their immediate family, but what does your community look like? Because that's what most people are lacking today is an actual community. And I don't really believe we're supposed to be doing this all by ourselves, or even with our, you know, immediate family. So there's that part of it. So it's really important. And it's one of the beautiful things about getting into the holistic path for mental health and recovery is that um, it kind of requires you to go out and meet some like-minded people and start forming some connections. And then, you know, this can be a family thing as well. Getting back to the epigenetics, most people think that this just runs in the family. So this really unhealthy dynamic of people just kind of living together and not being well together. But in fact, it's not really the genetics that run in the family, it's the environment that runs in the family. So say somebody would come to me, you know, with severe anxiety and maybe a um, benzodiazepine or an alcohol habit in order to help with the anxiety because those substances are always helping with something. You know, it's going to be vitally important that we radically overhaul our entire life because if we're going to look at it through the lens of symptoms, then something's not right, right? And so there's this part that we have to take radical responsibility for our own actions for our own well-being, for our own happiness, because when we get into these dysfunctional relationships, everybody's looking for everybody else to kind of fulfill each other. 
So it's really important to take a step back, do our own work. But then if we're in a 20 year marriage that hasn't been happy, or if I'm in an abusive relationship or, you know, whatever it might be, like those are going to have to be part of the functional medicine protocol for the mental health and whether we can deal with it now or later, or if we have to find the resiliency to hold the line until the opportunity comes or maybe take a really hard look at ourselves and, and see what part of it we've been playing. And that might be enough to fix the situation too. But I mean, healthy, healthy relationships, healthy community and a peaceful home are going to be vital for people to heal. That just takes in so much. Yeah, <laughs> that just takes in so much to create a peaceful home. And then goes even further, your body is your home. So creating your body to be at peace, no matter where it is, is probably the goal, I guess. Yeah. And that's ultimately the solution to addiction, to anxiety disorders, is that a lot of people are saying the opposite of that would be connection now, because when we're shut down, it's really hard to have healthy relationships, but really um, the opposite of addiction or anxiety would be finding a sense of safety in our own body. Because if we have that, then we connect with others. And I guess that would be why it's so vitally important to recognize if we're in trauma response or if we have unhealed trauma, because one of the symptoms of that that you can't measure in a lab is that you're, you know, we can measure the magnetic field of the heart now, right? Heart math, all that stuff's out there. So part of the, you know, if we have trauma in our own life or generationally where it was to do with other human beings, because I think human beings are the most dangerous animals on the planet. (laughs) You know, our heart is going to close off and it's going to be very difficult for us to have a meaningful connection with anybody, even if we are surrounded by people that love us, right? So it really does start from the inside out. Of course, if we're in a situation that's really not good, we need to get out of it too. Because if the situation we're in right now is traumatizing or stressful, it's really going to be hard to do the work, right? Right. Fascinating. How do you take care of yourself now? Oh, man. My whole life is is built around that. And some days are better than others. So, you know, I'm, I'm never up here preaching like I'm some health guru. But, you know, I, I know that it's really important for me to get a really good night's sleep at the right time. So I'm in bed by, you know, 10 or 11, try to get up in the morning. I get outside every day. I eat a nutrient-dense whole foods diet. I study spiritual texts. I'm a, a regular practitioner of yoga. I try to have fun. I try to make sure I have a creative outlet. And then I'm still on my healing path now at 13 years. So one of the, the biggest things that I have to recognize is my limitations. And when I'm starting to get outside of my window of tolerance, meaning what my system can handle, And I know for myself to not slip back into some of my epigenetic tendencies because genes are our tendency when we're under stress, right? So uh, recognizing those really quickly and then taking care of myself. So really, I I have to have my energy between a B plus and an A plus to be doing my best. Yeah, it sounds like just knowing yourself and you're very wise for 42 years old. You really are. And so can people work with you through telemedicine or how does it work? Yeah, I work with people all over the world, virtually and in person here in Arcata, California. I have a private practice one-on-one. I also have a three-month online group program called the Recovery Reset, where we go through all of the foundational lifestyle medicine 
we'd go through a food protocol where we really heal up the gut and the rest of the body that's been affected by stress, optimize the nervous system and the brain. And that's really a cool thing. And that's called the recovery reset. Well, yeah, because the gut and the brain are connected, right? So, so many people have gut issues and they're really anxiety or whatever, right? I mean, they're so connected. Yeah, I mean, 95% of our serotonin's in our gut. And you can easily back check this information by looking at the side of an SSRI antidepressant. And one of the first side effects is GI upset. 60% of our GABA is produced in a healthy microbiome, which is this five to seven pounds of bacteria that should be living in our gut. And GABA works as a natural Xanax. It's our calming neurotransmitter. And so you can see the downward spiral too. And again, I don't, I'm not against anything. I'm not against the pills. I'm not against alcohol. I'm for whatever works for people and people are going to be at different stages, but just through the holistic lens, like many people, many women love their wine to help with the anxiety, right? But you can see that the alcohol in and of itself can severely exacerbate these symptoms over time because alcohol kills all microorganisms. That's why they use it to clean in laboratories. And so if you think about, we have five or seven pounds of bacteria that if when in the right balance, have a massive effect on the expression of our genes and the production of uh, neurotransmitters like GABA and serotonin. And so if we're regularly taking in the alcohol to soothe the anxiety, we're actually killing the little guys that are making our natural Xanax inside of our gut. And so over time, the anxiety gets worse because our body's ability to maintain homeostasis is reduced. The need for more alcohol to bring that anxiety goes down. And then you can start to see how the cycle will begin with things like that. Yeah. So fascinating. Wow. Your recovery reset program sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> so we'll definitely link it so everybody can see it and sign up for it. Is it an ongoing program? We're starting again September 26th for the fall cohort. Then I'll be opening it again uh, the beginning of January of 2023. And then I think I'll be keeping it just open after that. Jen, thank you for spending this time with us. Is there anything we didn't ask that you want to make sure our listeners hear? I think just to close it down, if what you're doing is, is working for you now, fantastic. And if it's not, if you've been told that you're, you are treatment resistant, that this is a lifelong thing, I would really encourage you to have the courage to maybe think that that might not necessarily have to be true for you. And that if you are treatment resistant, that perhaps it's their treatment, it just isn't the right one for you. And to keep going, keep looking for answers, there's always a way through to the other side. It just takes dedication and a little bit of grit. So inspiring. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for being with us. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Really incredible discussion <laughs> and such a great way to explain the generational thing. Because again, I always wondered, like, I'm like, I get it, thought it, but I'm like, oh, that's how it is. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. And then also like, because the ancestor, or the generational are the three generations, but then you get into ancestral, which are like your way much longer <laughs> line of relatives. And that's where, you know, these, and these genes used to serve us, right? Like, the ones that are associated with PTSD and addiction actually would have made us the leaders of the tribe back then because the needing to get the, like being a fast dopamine metabolizer is at the root of a lot of this. And so if we were in a hunter gatherer tribe, that would give us the motivation, the courage and everything to go out and get the next kill or fight off the opposing tribe that was coming in to get us and all of these things. 
and the hypersensitivity to stress was keeping everybody in the tribe alive. So that back then that would have been like the desirable trait, but then you put us in today's world and it's destroying people's lives, you know? So a lot of it's like getting to know our constellation, like, cause a lot of those things won't ever go away, but we can like use them to our advantage rather than our destruction. Is that a blood test? Cheek swab. Oh, it's a swab. So you would just send the kit Mm -hmm. and then people just do the cheek swab, send it in, and then the results come. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.